Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to another episode of Feeling Free. I am your host, Ben Harris. I'm so excited you're here. Today's episode is with Sahara Rose, and we get into it. This was such a fun conversation. It's all about discovering your life's purpose using fear. But man, we go beyond that. Like This really was so fun, and it surprised me in the best way. I had no idea we're going to talk about some of these things um, because fear is really tied to embracing your life's purpose and your dharma. And we cover Sahara's story of her parents disowning her when she decided to go on this journey, which is wild. We also talk about past lives, soul contracts, and karma playing into our purpose in this life, even the nuance of activism, which goes into your soul's purpose. So this is an incredibly beautiful conversation. Um, and I'm so grateful for Sahara for blessing us like with this magic. And if you haven't heard already, we have a retreat coming up, which I am beyond ecstatic for. Retreats are, if not my favorite, top two things that I get to do for quote-unquote work because this retreat has such a sacred and special feeling to it. It's in Sedona, Arizona. So if you know about Sedona and how energized that place is and how much healing and how special it feels and the work that we can do there and how safe you can feel there. It's a energetic powerhouse. So I'm excited to be there. It's May 27th through the 30th. Our secluded retreat, it's nestled into a riverside estate and it even has a swimming hole, which I'm excited about. And a fun little fact is that our home, it's a dome home and it's protected by an electromagnetic force field around it, which is very unique. And it shields us from any intruding energies like 5G and all that fun stuff. And another amazing thing that we just announced is we are going to have an on-site massage therapist there who specializes in intuitive body work and energy work. So in addition to like the deep work that we're doing emotionally and spiritually and sub and in your subconscious, we're going to have a massage therapist um, that you can work with just like oh like my mind is blown i'm excited for me and for you and for us and then we also have a hot tub there that overlooks the red rocks that you can relax and chill out and of course the best thing about retreats um, is building community by connecting with an incredible group of humans through our hands hands-on workshops and heart opening activities so if you feel that love if you feel that call i'd absolutely love to meet you in person and we all know that we need it after this past year to really just build that community and feel just connected with people and also with ourselves, like reconnect with ourselves and put ourselves first and say yes to that fear because that fear is guiding us where we need to go. So if you feel that call, I would love to see you go to the link in my description so you can apply for it. We are over halfway full right now. So if you have that calling, please don't wait, please go get on the wait list and apply. I'd love to meet you and just, you can hopefully hear from my enthusiasm how much I love it. And if you haven't listened to the episode last week with Emma and Bell, I would listen to that because we talk about our experience meeting at the retreat and how much that has been life-changing for them and also for me. Um, so you go to feeling-free.com slash events and you can sign up for the retreat there if you would like. So feeling-free.com slash events or just go to the link in the description in the show notes and you can sign up. All right, y'all. Thank you for being here. This convo is enthralling and I'm excited. Let's get into it. Let's go. Cue the intro. Oh, yeah. Welcome to the Feeling Free Podcast. My name is Ben Harris, also known as the Fear Guy. My job is to help you feel more free in your life with the love and relationships, self-worth, and much more. I'm happy you're here. I love you. I believe in you. Let's break free from fear together. 
All righty. Sahara, thank you so much for being here. How in the hell, actually, I heard someone start saying instead of how in the hell, how in the heaven, which mm -hmm. I thought was funny and cool. But either way, just thank you so much for being here. And just, I appreciate you so much in your presence because I know your time, your energy is sacred. So thank you so much for being here. Ah, thank you so much for having me and for reaching out. I'm so grateful to be here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, before we go a, a little or way deep, I think it's important as for people who haven't heard the word Dharma or they've heard the word Dharma and don't know, don't know what it means. Um, what does Dharma mean? So the word Dharma has over 16 different, different, I'll say it again. <laughs> so the word Dharma in Sanskrit has over 16 different definitions, but the most ancient definition of it is your soul's purpose. So the big reason why you are here, and I'd like to think of it like your mission statement. So a company's mission statement is, for example, we are here to merge together two different cultures or your personal personal mission statement could be i'm here to raise consciousness or bring beauty to the world or connect women back to their bodies etc but underneath that mission statement are all of the different services so these are different careers you can have roles you can play projects you can work on ways that this energy can express so truthfully at the highest level all of our dharmas is the same we are all here to raise consciousness. We are all here to make the world a better place. However, the unique way that source expresses through us, through our personality, our upbringing, our obstacles, our childhood, all of these different elements that make us us give that fractal of light a direction to point to. And that really is what our dharma is. So I like to think of it as the unique frequency that only we can bring to the world. That's dope. And I don't know why I must have missed it. I don't know. But because I've heard you obviously talk about this, but that hit me in, in a different way because yeah, ultimately we all are, um, have the same purpose, but different. And when you talk about like the fractals, that's super interesting. When you, I'm curious, when you kind of when you're out in the world talking about these things and i know your your our world is different than you know typical worlds um but when you talk about like fractal the fractalization does that how do people respond to that just generally i mean that's actually the first time i expressed it in that unique word yeah, form right like now that. that came through but you know i i always just I can just feel where a person is at and then I will speak to them. So if I'm on good morning, Milwaukee, I will not, <laughs> I will not talk about What's Dharma up, in that way. <laughs> I'm more like, it's just your, your overall mission statement, right? That I think that's something everyone can understand. Mm. So it, I always just speak to the level of consciousness that someone is at and I could feel that you were going to get that vibe. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That's cool. If, so I think, I mean, how many times a day do you get the question, how do I find my purpose? You know, interestingly enough, I really seek to empower others. So the messages that I get are no longer, how can I find my purpose? The messages I, I get from people are, I'm living my purpose and here's oh. what I'm understanding. And, and, you know, I read your book and now I got offered a job as a radio host or whatever else is happening. So I think people can feel because I am not here to 
no one can know your purpose. I don't know what your purpose is. I, I'm mm. still only remembering my purpose as I walk yes. through this path of life. So I seek to empower people to know that it's not even finding your purpose. It's remembering your purpose. You already know your soul's purpose. You just have all of these layers and conditioning that you have held onto that have caused you to forget the truth of who it is that you already are. So <laughs> when we strip ourselves and we're like, hey, what's this hat, this limiting belief I got from my childhood, this jacket, mm -hmm. this fear that I will never make it as an artist or these socks, which say only if I do finance, I'll make money. When we strip ourselves from all of these, we're like, wait, I have already been the sun and I have for whatever reason forgotten. Oh, damn. Okay. This is so good. I'm glad you're already going here because yeah, this is awesome. So ooh, there's so many things I want to go to, but it'll flow perfectly. Um, let's just start with the sun because when you said, I forgot that I was the sun. Like, whoa, I touch on that because, yeah, that, that's an amazing statement. Mm. So I believe we're so much more than human beings, but we're really sun beings. And to me, the sun is the ultimate muse. It shines its light regardless of whatever direction or person or thing is in front of it. It just shines its omnipresent light in all directions. And that is the truth of who we are. We are the sun. We are living embodiments of that radiance. And it's like a candle that when I activate my internal flame, I can pass that flame on to you, but then your flame, it's not coming from me. It's its own individual flame that can then go on and activate the flame of others and others and others. So when I remember my sunlight, I shine my light on you and you may be a shadow to be like, screw you. I hate you. Why are you shining so brightly and be super mm -hmm. triggered by it? And that's often what happens right before we're like, oh, wow, it's so blinding for me because it's reminding me of what I have been forgetting, what I have been afraid of. And then when we are able to overcome past that, we're able to remember the light that is inside of us. And then it creates this beautiful domino effect. So that's why, you know, whenever I'm lost or confused, I just ask, what would the sun do? And it's always Ooh. my guide forward. That's dope. And I like to go back to the previous question when you said I, how you no longer get DMs about how do I find my purpose? I think that's so important. Um, and that says a lot about you too, of like what you're embodying. So just, I want to make sure I acknowledge that. Like that really does because so many coaches or healers or whatever you want to call us get stuck in that loop of, we want to be of service and quote unquote fixing people. So like for real, that's like major props to you that you're getting those types of messages and like your like embodiment in that area. And it's super. So when you say remembering, that's literally, that's like, that's just, that's me too. Like, that's what I say. And like, I have a retreat coming up that's called remember your truth. So I'm just preaching to the choir, but you, I'm just, I'm just hyping you up, I guess, but I'm and loving the combo. <laughs> but so with you personally, if we were to go back to one of your first moments or a key moment, moments that you remember, because it is a practice of, you know, feeling that fear, embracing it, navigating it. Um, and I know you've had, you know, different quote unquote lives away from here and also in here during different purposes and stuff like that, but in this current life, and then are you down to talk about past life stuff? Mm -hmm. Sure. That'd be dope. Um, so in this current life, what fears have you navigated into the, into this now moment? 
Mm. So I believe we were each born into the microcosm of the macrocosm that we came here to solve. So I was Mm. born in a lineage of female suppression and patriarchy and child marriage. My mother was a refugee and my dad was an immigrant. So really they came to this country with one purpose to survive. How can we make enough money to survive and be safe? You know, they escaped from Iran where there was an Islamic revolution and a war happening with Iraq. My mom fled by foot. So of course their number one, their number one goal is how can I just be safe? So two years they came to the United States and they had me. So it's like our first child, I'm the first person to be born in the United States. So let's make sure she does all of the mm-hmm. safest things. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, first of all, I, I even chose that experience to see firsthand all of the um, violations of human rights that were happening in the world. Like seeing firsthand my uncles being political prisoners and again, all of these different situations I just spoke of, seeing firsthand what does a lack of freedom look like? And then because of that mixture of my soul choosing that, but then also being born into seeing what it looks like to still not be free, even if you're in a free country, I always wanted more. At the same time, I felt the sense of responsibility, the savior complex we just mentioned Mm -hmm. of, I need to save the world. I was born here. So now I owe this lifetime to save all of the other people. I will do it. And it's, it's a beautiful desire that we have of like, I'm going to save the world. And who are we to think that we're stronger or better or smarter than the universe? You know? So I was on this journey of saving the world and I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I moved to DC. I went to George Washington university and I was studying international development. And my goal was to be an international human rights lawyer. I was volunteering. I was the president of Amnesty International, like very deep in the human rights space. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was in college that my first detour happened of experiencing really crippling health issues. My body began shutting down and went to perimenopause when I was 21 years old. So when that happens and your body's no longer producing any type of hormones, the doctors told me by the time I'm 50, I will probably be handicapped because I'm no longer creating any estrogen in my body, never be able to have children. And then all of the side effects that come with your body going into that state of insomnia, digestive issues, like fainting all the time, so many different problems. So I couldn't save the world. I had to first learn how to save myself and heal myself. And it was really this redirection. And I think so many of us, we project on the outside world, but we don't really look within ourselves. So my journey became about self-healing. And that was really the first um, destination that I went on, which brought me to Ayurveda, the world's oldest health system. Now, in my process of studying Ayurveda, healing my body, I was living in India for two years, studying to become an Ayurvedic practitioner and falling in love with this ancient healing science. I so deeply... I had this realization that maybe these health problems, all of these challenges happened to me for a reason so I could share about Ayurveda, especially to millennial women who didn't have access to this type of of wisdom and knowledge. So I decided I would write a book on Ayurveda. And that's when my second, my second <laughs> redirection or layer that I needed to let go happened of my parents being like, wait, 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 wait. you are going to write a book? You, you don't even have a book deal. You're not a doctor. Like, who mm-hmm. do you think you are? How are you going to make money doing this? Like, you're delusional. Like, this is, no, this is not okay. You cannot do this. Like, you need to get a normal, stable job. And to really break it down, did they call you delusional? 
Oh, a loser, failure, scum, wow, disgrace. Wow, they, they said that verbatim. Verbatim, yeah. Wow. And it got worse and worse and worse until my father disowned me. Oh. And he said, you are dead to me. I want wow. nothing to do with you. I gave my whole life to try to give you a stable upbringing, and this is how you repay me. Damn, So yeah. to them, it was the ultimate betrayal that I am doing against them to mm. be in India and studying this thing that they don't, they think is a pseudoscience. They don't even understand what I'm doing. And it was their deep fear of me making the wrong choice that they were saying these things not to hurt me, but because they thought that maybe this would cause me to change my mind. You know, maybe if I were just firm enough with her, we say these things, then she'll wake up out of this hippie fantasy yeah. that she's having that she has this purpose. No, no, no. You don't have a purpose. Everyone hates their job. Who, who do you <laughs> think you are? So this was a really tough time in my life because I didn't even know if it was true. Like I didn't have any evidence yeah. that I have a purpose. I didn't have any evidence I would quote unquote make it. I didn't even know what the path looked like. So shouldn't I just follow the very people who raised me, who, you know, are the people who I have been brought up to make happy as children were, were taught to get that yeah. parent stamp of approval? Or is this deeper desire in my soul that is so curious and yearning to take this different career path of writing a book? Is this here for a reason? And it wasn't an instant like, that's, that's it. It was a dance. Like sometimes I would be like, you know what? I... I, it's too selfish for me to live my purpose. I, I don't want to ruin their lives. I don't want to mm -hmm. cause so much pain and suffering for them. So I'll just do this as a hobby and, you know, become a real estate agent or something. And that'll give me enough time to just like read Ayurveda on the side. Mm -hmm. And then other times, like seeing people living their dharma and living their purpose and knowing that the biggest regret that I would live with is to not give this a try. And I think for me, I had to get to that level of being disowned by my own family <laughs> yeah. because it required me to become free. Because in that moment, I realized that I was always living for their approval, even though it was this unconscious way. And here I am now dead to them. So I have no one to live for but myself. Wow. So, I mean, that's incredible. What is your relationship with them now? So it was a journey. It wasn't like a, oh great, now you got a book deal. Like we're totally all for it. Like it was, it was still a journey because they didn't understand who I was becoming. And I think that sometimes mm. when, you know, a, a child or even a, a partner of yours is changing in a way that you don't know them, yep. you're trying to hold on to what you want them to be. So it was almost like this, um, getting to know your child for the first time, which is really an everyday process because we're always changing. So it was a journey. However, in writing Discover Your Dharma, I, I shared this story publicly for the first time. And I had so, so much fear around sharing it. I'm like, mm. sometimes I would write it and I'd be like, you know what? I'm just going to take this out. It's not worth rocking the boat. I don't even know how much, how many years they have left. I don't want to go another two years of not speaking to them. Let me just take this out. And then other times thinking, how can I even talk about discovering your Dharma if I don't fully share my own story? And it's tough because your story is one thing to share, but when your story is tied yeah. with other people who don't want their story to be <laughs> shared. So me writing the book was, I think kind of like the final, the final healing that needed to happen around the situation. Because when you 
you know, you write about something, you have to see it from all of these different angles, from my parents' angle, from sources angle from all these different angles and then knowing that they're going to read it and their family and friends and all the people that they care about are going to read it while staying true to myself so when the book was coming out i like wanted to talk to them about it but also i didn't want to ask them for permission because i knew they would say no so finally when it was like about to come out i was like here's the book and they are not reading it i was like trying to wanting them to read it so they would like see and then i just had to tell them what's in it and mm. they they were upset you know yeah. they were upset why is this in here like why don't you talk about all the times we sent you to summer camp i'm like that's <laughs> not what i found my dharma but i'm yeah. appreciative of it you uh -huh. know but you know parents always want it's like, I think especially that generation, shadow work is not really a thing that people talk about. You don't talk about the hard times. Like you only talk about the good things happening. Mm -hmm. So they're like, why are you, why are you so negative? You always focus on the negative versus mm -hmm. like for us, we see it's in those, I'm like, I'm the most grateful out of everything you've ever done for me for not believing in me in those times because it caused me to believe in myself. So now they are proud of me and share the book and have come oh, around cool. it, but it was, you know, a seven year journey for that to happen. Wow. That's wild. Um, I mean, cause when you share the story, right, it sounds so inspiring, but when you're actually in that moment, it's not, it's easier said than done. Right. And like coming like, yeah, when you say like, when you talk about your situation, as far as, you know, coming from two immigrant parents and like, it's so like that pressure to, I mean, for them, right. It's the feeling of being safe and all the things, their own fear or whatever, but how did you, and, and you said it took them disowning you to feel free. That's very powerful. But even at that point, it's still like, you still have to make the decisions. And was it just what you said of like, you can't imagine not doing it and like being at the end of life. Is that the main thing or what else was just like that, that catalyst to make you actually keep going foot after like step after step? Mm. Well, one of the things that really was eye-opening for me is, you know, sometimes we take advice from people, but then we really look at their lives and I'm like, yeah. wait, would I even want to be living like my parents are now? They definitely are not living their purpose. Like I'm, I'm so grateful for everything that they've done for me, but you know, my dad is miserable and is mad mm. at the news and is mad at what's happening in the media and mm. is in victimhood so often. Mm. So do would I want to take my life advice from someone who is embodying in this way, even though he has he for sure has a dharma and this greater purpose, but that's not really what's on his mind. So having that first realization of like, am I taking advice from people who I would want to live a life similar to? And it was really helpful for me because at this time from India, I bought a one-way ticket to Bali. And in Bali was the first time I saw people who were like, you know ecstatic dance facilitators and like tantric life coaches and like all of these different things that I was, I would ask everyone, I'm like, do your parents know you're here? Like, are they okay with you being here? Like, what do they think? Like, because it was so mind boggling for me. I had never seen anyone taking these completely alternative paths that they were just creating. It wasn't even a job to apply for. So when I really tuned into it and, and all of them were saying the same thing, like you can't hold yourself back to try to make your parents happy because you're never going to make them happy. You yeah. keep going to try to limbo this way and limbo that way. And they're still going to find something that's wrong. So when I saw these people, they may not have had all of the money in the world, but they definitely were 
proud of the existences that they were living. And they were all pointing me in that same direction. That was helpful for me to see, you know, maybe there is some truth to this. Mm. And what about, so referencing past life stuff. Well, actually, before we get to that, were you, did you feel different as like a kid growing up? Yeah. So I was definitely extremely psychic as a kid, Mm. you know, as a child, I, I grew up in Boston, you know, by Salem, Massachusetts, which is where the Salem Mm -hmm. witch trials happened. And since I was a kid, I was obsessed with Salem and the witch trials and witchcraft and like all things, you know, Wicca. And I started to go like on the weekends and get spell books. And, you know, I would like do all the witchy things. And I have these three other girls and we would you know, go to the four directions and like literally like do all of these, but we were, we were good witches, but the other kids thought we were crazy. You know, it was, we were like 10 years old and I actually experienced, I was walking on a hill, um, during recess and this, these group of kids in my class, they were like, burn the witch at the stake, burn the witch at the stake. And this boy threw me down the hill and he had on one of those casts that you can walk in those like metal casts. So he threw me down the hill, but he came tumbling after me. Uh His cast hit my head and gave me a concussion. So I, you know, became unconscious and rolled all the way down this hill. And I remember waking up and just hearing them laughing. Mm. And I just, was alone at the bottom of this hill. And I knew I just had to get myself up and walk to the principal's office and just go home. And it's crazy because the teachers, after that happened, they were like, well, you know, Sahara's scaring the other kids. So, you know, she needs to be separated from those girls and they're up to no good. And we were the ones wrong, Mm -hmm. right? And in that moment, I realized it's not safe for me to be a witch. It's not safe for me to magical and mystical. And that really took away a lot of my powers. I would see so many more things before that happened, but I think I just, you know, had to relive essentially being burnt at the stake in that way. And it made me close up. And it wasn't until practicing yoga that that Mm. became a new avenue to spirituality to me. But I think the reason, you know, I had many, many, many past lives in, you know, obviously Ayurveda and yogic sciences, but it felt like the safer way because it was like a science and like a body practice and and Mm -hmm. discipline, but it's really all bringing us back to the same source. Yeah, that's fascinating. What is the latest, what's like the latest story or belief you've uncovered? Because when you talk about like all these things, whether it's, you know, a past life or from this childhood, I mean, because, yeah, I'm always remembering, right? Like, I'm always just like, holy hell, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, what's the latest thing if you feel comfortable or like whatever you want to share about like the latest, because you share all these, like all these are amazing stories. So after you share this, I'd love to hear what has your practice been like to uncover them and then to whatever you want to call rewire, remember, reframe we can use remember though, cause that's, that's our lingo. Mm-hmm. So what I have been uncovering in my current life is toxic productivity. You know, we talk so much about toxic positivity and I feel like the next thing is this toxic productivity because of quarantine. So many of us, we went to whatever our, you know, trauma responses are yep. for some people it's denial. And for some people it's being hyper productive and like working yeah. all the time. And like, and I went that direction probably, you know, connected to the same parental approval, perfectionism strains. Also I have seven planets in Capricorn guys. So, you know, it's oh, a lot in Capricorn. I was actually going to say when you posted about 
we're actually pretty similar because I'm a projector and have tons of Capricorn and Sagittarius too, but keep going. I love that. Yeah. So, so for me, it's really been looking at my relationship with this toxic productivity that like, what else could I do and get more done? And like, every time there's a free moment in my schedule, like, let me find more things (laughs) to do. And just to sit into that receiving state and trusting that I am being guided without me having to do and control. And I think that so many of us, especially entrepreneurs, um, we have the story that if I don't do it or if I'm not in control of it, it will go wrong. So it's really hard for us to, to let go because we have all of this proof. Look, I I try to let go. I try to trust this one time. It didn't work. Mm -hmm. So now I can't do it. So you know, and I've really been exploring a lot about human design, actually, like going s- super deep into the different gates and channels and incarnation cross and all of these different mm. layers, which I absolutely love. And, you know, as a projector, which we both are, it's so important for us to to rest and to be in that horizontal state. And we are meant to be paid for what we see, not what we do. So I'm like, sorry, get into your projectorness, like no more than three hours a day of work. But my conditioning is like, oh no, well, you got to show your team that you're working so hard or like, you got to keep going. So it's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's crazy that it's hard to not do, but for me, it's the hardest thing. So I love that. Yeah. I'm so obviously I'm very similar. And I feel like that's now just really starting to come online. How I mentioned the retreat earlier, I kept like, I'm like, I'm only going to do things that are fun and easy. I'm only going to do things that are fun and easy. And I have so many ideas. I'm sure you do as well that I'm like, Oh my God. And it's so uncomfortable to not like try and like create it all the time. But I drop in, you know, like, is this just for me or is this for everyone? You know? And, um, So I was like, I'm only going to do something that's fun and easy. And I had some resistance to doing the retreat because I'm like, I don't want to do, you know, like 30 calls to sign up 15, 16 people. I was like, this is going to be as easy as possible. So it's two days in, you know, like a third of the way signed up and like I haven't talked to one person, you know, it's just been through Instagram and like application things. And so that's starting to come online. But there's this cool metaphor I like about projectors um, with a mentor I I worked with last year. She said projectors are like spiders. Have you heard this? Mm -mm. So which when I first heard spiders, I'm like, what? (laughs) But you're like, what? Yeah. But so it's, if you think about it, projector, like how most animals like a lion, right? Probably like a manifesting generator or a generator literally goes out and gets the thing and brings it back. What we do is we literally build and create this beautiful web. And then we literally just go back and sit and wait. And then other people will see that, right? And that's when, quote unquote, whether it's the money or the, whatever it may be, is like we are creating, we are observing, we are like taking care of ourselves. We're not necessarily, quote unquote, hunting per se and going out there and doing, but we build this beautiful magic thing and let people come to us. Mm, I so resonate with that. Mm -hmm. And it's tough living in a world that's 70% generators manifesting generators because we're like, well, that person like got what they wanted and just went for it. And, and then it's also (laughs) what I struggle with too, is I'm like, well, what about the time that I reached out to that person and ended up working? Like I didn't wait for the invitation. (laughs) So, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely tough and you know, nothing is literal. Nothing is 100%. It's all nuanced. Um, but I do feel like we are 
opening up into this new way of being of have like in, in the world, the new paradigm that we are creating. And I believe that many of us will be completely living in it in this lifetime. I believe communities are being built that we will, there's going to be many, many different dimensions happening on this planet. Right. Um, but when you're fully in alignment with your dharma and everyone around you is in full alignment with your dharma, you don't need to do all of these different things mm -hmm. that are not your dharma anymore. In fact, you realize the opportunity cost of that. Yeah, mm -hmm. And you also realize it's getting in the way of someone else living their dharma. So for example, if I'm like, let me like go in the back of my website and like change up all these things and like the, the funnel and this and that, like there's actually someone who, who loves doing that, who yeah. I'm preventing them from being in their yeah. unique zone of genius. So who am I to think that I should be doing that? Maybe at that moment of time, Source had a download for me that I would have missed because I would have been too frustrating frustrated trying to make this thing happen that is not in alignment with my dharma so mm. you know i i think at the beginning of our journeys especially in an entrepreneurial journey you do kind of have to do these things that you might not want to do but you're excited yep. about doing it you know yes. like when i first started my website i was excited to learn mm. how to seo and do the web design and do this and do that because i was like there was momentum going there mm -hmm. but then you reach this point that you continue to refine and refine and like what are the things that are coming on the rocket ship and what are the things that are just baggage at this point and the further along that rocket goes the higher layers the higher dimensions you start to really fine-tune every ounce that you're holding onto, and you're like oh if that even feels a little bit off it is holding me back from my true dharma and from being of service to humanity Ooh, i love that too yeah i i resonate hard with all of this um there's one thing that i've really liked and that I've been working on is literally like my, my frequency is the formula because I resonate with you of like, well, this one time, you know, or like many times I've hustled and it's worked. Right. And so I love how you talk about the nuance and it's not forever and always it's if, when, maybe all the time, definitely, probably not or never, depending on where you are. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, like literally like I've seen just crazy things happen just from like it's crazy because you mentioned earlier in the conversation about yeah the universe source or what it, like we don't know better than that and so when I work on my frequency like my being is the thing like my creations speak for themselves like I literally do you have any like 5g or like blocker like technology that like blocks things or like sends out frequency like I have like shungite all over <laughs> <laughs> okay so so I have like this thing that like it restructures water. It um, does a whole bunch of stuff. But so it's like those I, triangle things. Almost this one is like a oval. Okay. I also have this like Soma Vedic. Oh, I have this. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Soma Vedic. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I got that. <laughs> <laughs> I could have just said the brand name. So I have the Soma Vedic, and that's what I picture myself as. Mm. Is like I am like like affecting as I go because like I can't see everything that's happening. Some people can, you know, but to me, I just, I'm like, I'm literally like affecting things and it's crazy. I've just seen so much evidence in my life now of literally me not doing things. And I just think or feel mostly feel to me, it's almost the same now. And things just like appear like yesterday. I was like, three people asked about something and I was like, okay, I guess I need to do that event or like this product something that I had the idea with. So it's just interesting to see how those come through. I'm curious about your 
past life stuff. What, um, do you know how many lives you've lived? You know, the the way that I see past (laughs) lives is yeah. Like they're not even in the past. It's all simultaneously happening in the now. And our, Mm -hmm. our human brain loves to be like past, present, future. Mm -hmm. Like how many, like, where were they? Like, was I the princess of Egypt? Like, you know, (laughs) have these amazing stories. And for me, you know, the ultimate way that I have actually channeled past lives and I've done like uh, quantum hypnosis, healing technique and past life conferences and all sorts of things, but it's actually just been from intuitively feeling like, what do I resonate with? What are the historical time periods? What are the languages, cultures? What is the information that channels through me? So my main Claire is Claire cognizance of uh, just a knowing. And for people who don't know, Claire is like your intuitive abilities. Clairvoyant is seeing, clairaudient is hearing, clairsentient is feeling, claircognizance is knowing. So for me, for example, when I was you know, writing my, my, especially my book, Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda, which was that first one that got published that Deepak Chopra wrote the first forward to, I would just look out the window and just type and like specific information was coming through gunas, mm. subgunas, koshas. I can't make this shit up. It's a science, you know? <laughs> so this was completely past life knowledge that was coming back to me. And I mm. had this like remembrance. And for me, the remembrance, it feels like vague. It feels, sometimes I'll see glimpses of it in a dream. Like for example, this one I was later shown in a dream. I was flying over ancient India and I saw the Saraswati River, which is a river that has been dried up for the past couple thousand of years. Mm-hmm. So I, again, I couldn't have known this. And it showed me this is where your soul is from. And it's actually where the Vedas were written. Mm. It's actually where my ancestors are, are from even in this human life. Cool. So in that lifetime, I was one of the rishis that was originally channeling Ayurveda. Ayurveda is, you know, just like yoga, tantra. These are all channel texts. Like no one meant, invented it. They're just tapping into it and they're they're scribing it. So in that lifetime, I was one of the rishis um, channeling this Ayurvedic text. But the other rishis, um, they wanted to combine it with religion. They wanted to use it as a form of like a religious and a form of control. And it was very patriarchal. So I said, I will come back in another life as a woman and bring Ayurveda to the people. Oh, that's cool. And that is why, you know, the very first like major Dharmic lesson that I had to go through were my health problems to redirect me in that direction. And then all of the past life information began coming through. So it was really like relearning a language that I once knew. And then, you know, as soon as I wrote that book and um, the next book on Ayurveda, I could feel that I was done with that. And that's the other thing. Sometimes past lives, you have specific soul contracts with them. You're meant to be channeling that information for a period of time, but it's just like a faucet. Sometimes then it just turns off and you're like, and then it feels like, I don't really want to be doing this. It feels heavy. It feels stuck. Like I, I, I feel like I'm repeating myself and you know, some people are like fully operating from one frequency that they are channeling their whole lives. Mm. Whereas for others, it's like different um, soul contracts that really shift throughout our lives. And it really, I mean, just depends on your unique karma. But I could feel that for me, just talking about Ayurveda in terms of like health and nutrition and like 
meditations, the, the way that it's traditionally being taught, I was done with that. And it was to take these concepts now to bring Ayurveda into Dharma and other areas of being. So that's obviously a major past life of mine. And then also Lemuria. I don't know how much you guys go into different, <laughs> um, but Lemuria is the most ancient civilization on earth that, I mean, our human mind can't really even put into into years, but this is like, I mean, they say between like 2 million years ago to 200,000 years ago was the time of Lemuria, also called Mu. So this is the ancient civilization that is modern day Polynesian islands. I mean, kind of like all of the Pacific and really the frequency of it is based on the heart. It's based off of connecting with our land and our our tribes and our earth. And it was a very feminine frequency. And the the... Rem- so the way that I remembered this life was I was actually looking at this Oracle card deck and there was a Lemuria card. And I just stared at this picture for, I kid you not, two hours. I was like, I know this place. Like, this is my home. Like the waterfalls and like the, the rich land and the turquoise waters. And I always have this... Um, Like when I think of like, what is my dream in this lifetime? It's to be in the jungle dancing with like swimming pools and we're like drumming and just like Mm. fully in our bodies. And I just have this like yearning to be back in this place. And that's really the Lemurian frequency. And long story short, I got into this situation with this other fellow Lemurian sister that we had to relive the sinking of Lemuria, that she was ready to um, teleport to Atlantis because when Lemuria was, it was slowly sinking and then some people decided to teleport to Atlantis, which was like the new civilization coming up based off of science. It was a lot more masculine and rational and um, it's like modern day Ibiza, Greece, like that area. And we both had the exact same dream of this happening Mm. on the same night, but- And this was also while like all of the George Floyd stuff was happening last year. And there was like some stuff happening with her her and I actually about that of like me being super activist and like this and like her being just taking a different stance on it. And in that, um, in that dream that we both had, she was teleporting to Atlantis and she was like, come Lemuria sinking. We got to get out of there. And I was like, no, I got to help the people. I am not leaving. And I ended up dying in that Mm. lifetime. And it was, I was replaying it because I was, I mean, I was, I'm an activist. So I was like, just so, so all in that I was like also hurting myself by doing that, by letting go of everything else in my life. So oftentimes our past lives, the the lessons from them can replay in this lifetime for a higher perspective and to see, are we going to loop into that same karma again, or have we fully completed that cycle and have moved on to greater lessons? Now, I don't take the same stance as Buddhism per se, that like you have X number of lives and then you're done as a human. You did your job. Now you're just a soul and you're like out of the suffering of being a human because I see that as a really masculine way of looking at it, that like being a human sucks, Ugh, being in a body, like I just need to get out of here and like, just like be in, in non-dualism again. And mm. there's, there is a beauty in stillness and nothingness, but I also think that we are here to bring heaven to earth. It's not about just like doing our karma and getting out of here. It's about the very things that we are seeking. How can we bring that into this dimension? At least that's what I feel like my lifetime is really about embodying. Dang, I love that. So you touched on so much without me even asking about it, which I love. Because um, I was going to ask about karma. Or, yeah, I was going to ask about karma. And 
and you touched on how it has influenced you, right? Because how, how back to the Egyptian days, right? Of how you had to get sick to literally bring that in. And why I want to talk about that is how important it is for um, our purpose and for our dharma, like in this current lifetime, in this present moment, in this now and earth that we are. Um, and I'm curious, like for you as an activist, um, and then also like looking at someone when you mentioned your, your parents and there's so many other people, you know, living in vict- victimhood. Um, and why I'm bringing this up is like how I'm curious to hear your, per- your perspective on how past lives influence that and how karma influences that and how that balances out with like, like activism. And I, I'm even curious, like how you're, activism or any other ism has been redefined for you as Mm. you've gone more and more down this path. Yeah. I love that. Well, I think the three, the 3d understanding of activism is there's something wrong with the world and I am going to fix that thing. Yes. And, um, and I was totally, I was totally in that. And there are so many things wrong with the world. There's genocides (laughs) happening and there's sex trafficking and there's like all of these horrible things that are, that are real. Mm -hmm. And, then we could take that totally other approach of everything is perfect as it is. So let me just be, and it will resolve itself. It's playing out its own karma, but that also doesn't sit right with me because Mm. we have free will. We have the ability to create change. So like we are the gods and goddesses that we have been waiting for. So we wouldn't have been given the ability to create solutions to these problems if we're not supposed to do it. So I think that we see some people that are, only caught in the 3D, in the doing. And then some people, when you learn about spirituality, you get purely caught in the being and the, you know, the spiritual bypass and all of that. And and it's a dance. And I think every person's relationship with activism is going to be different. For some people, it's going to be um, quite literal activism. For some people, it's more of the frequency. I know some people who I genuinely believe their highest activism could would be to re- to remain in meditation to be holding that grid and that That's light cool. frequency because it's helping so many pe- so many people that way even though they're never even communicating with people and like every time they're like I feel like I'm not doing enough I'm like please like keep holding that grid because we need like Matt Kahn for example like mm. people like that we need people doing that but then we also need people like Marianne Williamson who are like okay, I'm going to run for president and like raise awareness and like be in the pit of the fire and different, different lifetimes are going to cause, you know, different things. So for me, it has been finding, finding the point of my highest form of joy with my highest form of service, service, not as a sacrificial thing, service, Uh not as a, cause no one else wants to do it. I guess I have to do it, (laughs) you know, which is what I used to think that it would be. I was like, I'm going to be a human shield and stand in front of a bulldozer. And like, that's how I will save a village. I definitely never thought I would live this far, you know, because I, I always knew I was here to be of service, but how far could I be of service if then I'm gone? I'm gone that one time the bulldozer came over me. And I've also realized that, you know, feed a man to fish, teach a man to fish, feed him for a day, teach him. You guys know that phrase, but tell someone what to do. You may have solved that problem for a period of time, but raise their consciousness and they will know what to do later on. Like the fact that we have to be like, Hey guys, like hating people because their skin color is different than you is wrong. Is like, 
duh, like, of yeah, course, duh. like the fact, <laughs> the fact that someone can't understand that is like, this is a consciousness issue. And then we're going to have to advocate for black lives and Asian lives and Middle Eastern yeah. lives and then Latin American lives. We're gonna have to do this for the forever gay lives, this lives, like, we need to raise consciousness. So people understand that that person that you hate so much because they're so different than you is you. And that way, that's also going to trickle into how they relate to their environment. Their environment is you, your children are you, and so many other things. So I realized that my highest way of being of service is to help raise consciousness, which I think you have found a similar way. I think a lot of people listening mm -hmm. to this podcast have found a similar way. But does that negate me from the responsibility to still continue to be of service to the people who will never listen to my podcast, who don't even have internet or electricity? No. Yeah. And I will continue to, with my resources, you know, sponsor girls from sex trafficking in India and children who live in land, uh, landfills in Cambodia and all yeah. of these people who raising consciousness is probably not in this <laughs> lifetime for them, unfortunately. Oh. But the fact that I can help means that it is my dharma to also help. Damn, yo, that was a beautiful explanation and perspective because it's both, mm -hmm. you know? And back to the person who, you know, is, you know, literally meditating and holding that frequency in this lifetime that's probably as of now, maybe later it'll change what they can do to provide the most impact and service. And I think we get caught up, right, in like the greater less than. Because it goes back to like, am I doing enough? Da, 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 da. And our purpose or purposes, I change, you know, and adjust. So what are your thoughts or words of wisdom and feelings for like people who are thinking, am I doing enough? Mm. So, you know, our, our purpose is going to shift you know, guaranteed Dharma is a mountain range. You know, the first summit, you've never climbed a mountain before. You don't even know what it's like. You don't even know if there is a summit. You don't have the right shoes. You don't have the okay. tools. You don't have the stamina. And it feels really intense and scary, but you climb that first summit, you get the tools, you get the strength, but then you realize it's a, it's a mountain range and it continues to unfold and evolve. And that's why I think of the path more like a spiral than a linear sequence, because if you think of a spiral, we're going to look at our childhood and our past lives and our purpose and our relationships and all of these things. And then guess what? We're going to go back to them again and again and mm -hmm. again and again. And it's going to continue to deepen and deepen for as long as we're alive. So as long as we're alive, you're going to continue to find more layers of your purpose. And to live your dharma is just to honor the expression of truth that you are at this moment because your truth can and will change as you are exposed to new sides of yourself and exposed to new elements of the world around you because nothing is ever the same. So to hold a peg in the ground and be like, well, this is my one purpose. Like, that's mm -hmm. it. Like, I can't, I already branded myself like that. So I can't yes. rebrand. Like, you yes. know, it's like to not honor that is like being a lion trapped in a cage. It's to pretend that you don't have all of these other abilities and, and gifts that are waiting to evolve. So your, your purpose is going to change. There is, however, a red thread that connects them. So, you know, let's say your purpose, you know, for, for me, it took me from like literal activism to healing, to Dharma, to like embodiment, but really the thread of it is still the same. You know, it still is, is helping people in this unique way that 
only I can, right? And that's really what your dharma is. For someone, it could be to bring beauty to the world, and they may be a graphic designer, and then a wedding planner, and then mm -hmm. a florist, then an interior designer, and then a hairstylist, but they've always been bringing beauty to the world. So it's to not be so attached to the physical manifestation of it, but rather to notice, well, what is the connectiveness between everything in which that I'm doing? And that's going to connect you to where you're going to go moving forward. And, and to the question of, well, am I doing enough? You know, it's both. I think collectively we are not doing enough. And I think collectively we're obsessed with, am I enough? <laughs> yeah. Right? It's, it's this feeling of I'm not enough, but then we take all of this energy into I'm not enough, I'm not enough, when you could have just like gave a $5 a month donation, and that's still more than the majority of what people are doing. So there's always more, there's always more that I don't think the 99% of Americans at least are like at their cap of being of service. I don't think so. You know, we could volunteer, we could do more things. Like we always have excuses, but how much time do we spend on social media? But this feeling of, am I, am I enough? That is something that 99% of people are dealing with. And, and the solution is to go into the being of service. You know, Marianne Williamson says, sometimes you just need to put your tears on a shelf and go out there and help the world come home, cry again and do it again, you know? And Sometimes we get so caught up into like, I need to have the perfect way of being of service and not until I have all of the different facets of it, then can I go out and do it? But it's really in the being of service that you get the feedback and then it shifts and it maneuvers. Dang. Yeah. I love that. Have you seen the movie Soul? Yes. Have you? Because I mean, that literally, right, is about Dharma and purpose mm -hmm. and how at the end he, spoiler, if no one's watched it, but how he essentially becomes like so like pigeonholed right like so obsessed that it becomes like when he actually does it it's, it doesn't taste as like sweet as he thought it would mm -hmm. i love that movie so much it's such mm -hmm. a great one i'm like wow like imagine if you know we watched that kind those kind of movies growing up instead of like aladdin and <laughs> little mermaid like the girl doesn't even have a voice we're like she's my hero you know <laughs> That's actually a good point. I've never thought of it. She literally doesn't have a voice. And you were yeah. like, wow, the like, subliminal. Men love you if you're silent. <laughs> wow, I've never even thought about that one. Yeah. So it's beautiful. And it really does show that consciousness is raising. And what I loved about that movie, it's like you being of service is also you just being in your state of flow. Like him playing the saxophone is yes. providing a gift for everyone that gets to experience the melodies that are coming through him. Like when I see a, a street performer like doing their break dance and they're in that flow, like that lifts me up. And that has that ripple effect for how I show up with the barista and then how yes. that barista feels when she goes home from work and then how her boyfriend feels because of the relationship and how he treats his mom and how the mom's lifespan ends up, right? Because that guy was break dancing. So when we can realize that, you shining your light is your highest way of being of service. Dang, yeah, I love that. Because, yeah, we get caught up in, um, and speaking for myself when I say we, is like this thing is why I'm important or like, you know, quote, unquote, helping people with overcome fear. This is why I'm important or, you know, but it's literally who I be. And that's, that is like the power, literally. Going back to like the Soma Vedic thing, like that's what, like it's changed so much for me of just like literally just like how I show up, like the frequency, the consciousness and like, it's, 
it's such a cool feeling. It's easier. It's more powerful. And just, yeah, just to touch on that note of literally, I just being in the flow of like playing that sax, like being in that, just being it. Yes. He's doing something as well, but he's literally being that thing. And like, that's the ripple. Mm -hmm. Yes. I call this the sacred doing. And this is where you're so deep into your doing that you are being. And when you're also so deep into your being that you can't help but do. So I feel like there's this, this battle, like kind of in the spiritual community of like, (laughs) we're human beings, not human doings, like boycott (laughs) all doing, you know, oh my God, they're doing so much sheeple, like, you know, and, and then like these other people that are like, be more productive, get more done in your day, like hustle, hustle. And it's like this, you got to choose a side of the coin. And that's just not true. It's Mm. your Dharma is the expression of both because, you know, I have done many types of meditation trainings and this and that. And I would always like get mad at me. I'm like, I'm such a bad meditator. Like, why am I, I'm so bad at being like, what's wrong with me? And like, you know, it just became this other thing that I wasn't good enough. Another way to shame, another way to not be enough. But when I am writing, when I am speaking, when I am dancing, like I am naturally in a meditative state without any pressure or force. And that's really what meditation is all about. Like there's this interesting conversation between Osho and Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And it was, it's this long debate that they were in like back in 1969. And what Osho was saying was, meditation cannot have a technique because as soon as there is a technique, it's not meditation. Mm. He's like, meditation is just being. He's like, but that doesn't require you sitting there and be like, okay, right now I'm going to just be. He's like, meditation can be you're in nature and you just become one with nature. You're singing and you just lose yourself with the song. It's, it's, it's the merging. And what Maharishi and his disciples were saying is like, well, the American mind can't do that. Like we need to set a time for ourselves and have a technique and to practice around it for us to create the container to get into that state, which I totally understand. It was this, just this beautiful debate. Mm. And, I, and I can see both perspectives of like, you know, in the perfect world, we would just be able to like, you know, be by the waterfall and just enter that meditative state, but we're on our phones and like, we need to set the time. Otherwise we're not going to yep. do it. But then why aren't we questioning why our culture is built like this? Yes. That it requires so much effort and force to just do the most basic thing of being. Man, I love this. This conversation is so nuanced and that's, love it. Um, will you repeat that sentence again of like the being, was it you're so- the sacred doing, yes. Yeah. So the sacred doing is when you are so deep into your being that you can't help but do and when you're so, de- and when you're so deep into your doing that you naturally are being. I love that. Yeah. Thank you. What is it for you? Like, what are your sacred mm. doings? <laughs> ooh, yes. I love asking me a question. My sacred doing it's, Ooh, my sacred doing it's this, right? Like technically, yeah. Like I'm doing something. Um, and like, you know, whether it's, intuitive sessions with people like um i am projector right so like i only want to do like two of those a day but they are my favorite thing in the world and so i have my kind of what you mentioned before about how all these different purposes you know kind of build on each other about bringing beauty my first quote-unquote passion and purpose was actually hip-hop and so like i remember you know performing for like hundreds and like thousands of people that's what it was like like performing was 
literally that like so just like enthralling and same with like guiding meditations it's that same thing of like i'm doing but then i just be because it's it's so flow and it's so fun and like in those guiding sessions or remembering sessions like you know because it really is like we're going to a place that we've both never been before and so to me i love that so much because it really is that performance and the yin and the yang and like we're both creating um together and so i love that so much and i wanted to note when you're talking about i know people say lemuria or lumeria i know people people say whatever but when you were talking about that i just want to point out like your body totally like lit up i love me some lemuria i can't <laughs> wait to go back <laughs> mm, yeah i love that good question and i was talking to someone yesterday at my apartment and i imagine you know when you talk to people like in miami just you know random not random people it's, you know, when they ask you what you, what do you actually, when people ask you and you meet them for the first time and they're quote unquote civilians, <laughs> what, <laughs> what do you, what do you tell them that you do or be? Um, I just say I'm an author. They're like, so you write books. They're like, what <laughs> kind? Like, and I'm like, discover yeah. your Dharma. They're like, what's a Dharma? I'm like, it's just, a, they don't get it at all. Like mm. they probably think I'm like a children's book author or something. <laughs> it's like fine because we're really yeah. all imagining things. How about you? Yeah, that's cool. So why I asked that is because, you know, I'll say a fear coach. And of course that sparks plenty of conversations. And, um, and then he was just talking about, you know, of course how Wim Hof has made cold exposure so popular. And so he was watching this video of, you know, top five habits that successful CEOs do. And now like they're doing breath work and like cold exposure. And so why that came to mind is because it's like the scheduling thing. It becomes so masculine and only doing, but again, it's both. And so just to comment on how it's, I love it, right? We love it because like we are raising consciousness and these amazing tools are getting wider and greater, but at the same time, it's being, what's the right word to say? I don't want to say bastardized, but like misconstrued or like, yeah, I just wanted to comment on that because that's just so interesting, like how I see that of just meditating or certain things. It's just like we turn them into what you said of more things to do and something that you're not doing good enough still. Right. And I think it's we will approach anything at the consciousness and the and the mindset that we're in. So and then it will naturally shift. The breath work will shift that. The cold, all of these things will shift it. So it's already going to change with you just doing it. But I know, mm -hmm. you know, so many people, they're like, I need the perfect morning routine. Okay, I got to yes. wake up and journal for 10 minutes and then breath work for 10 minutes and then this and then that. And like, they're doing all of these things. They're like driving around LA and they're like late and they're so nervous in their cars to like make it to the drip IV session, you know? <laughs> so it's like, maybe if you just like sat on a bench, you would be way more calm than what you think this drip IV will get you to. But I think it's just a natural um, yeah. level that we're in. I have these five stages of, of Dharma discovery. And, and the second one is that self-improvement of like this obsession with improving ourselves. And it's very natural because yes. when we realize, oh, maybe my mindset isn't at the highest level or my physical health or my focus, et cetera, it's very natural to want to improve it. But then we reach a point that we realize I am not a mind and body to improve, but rather I'm a soul to know. Ooh, one more, one more time. That's a good quote. 
I'm not a mind or body to improve, but rather I'm a soul to know. So instead of trying to fix ourselves, we shift our focus to getting to know ourselves. And then it becomes less about Oof. hacking and more about remembering. Damn, that's so good. Yo, this was, I mean, I knew this was going to be good, but this completely just like, woo. Um, I yeah. love it because I normally can't enter these realms with typical podcast hosts. Normally yeah. it's like, you know, stage one Dharma, which is beautiful and, and great. But yeah. I enjoyed this conversation because I think a lot of people are craving, you know, I'm sure people who listen to this podcast right now are craving to go deeper and like, what does it really look like in practice for us, mm -hmm. you know, at this point? And yeah, to like open up that that lid and show people we're we're always still learning and deepening and it does get easier. Like it gets so much easier too with time. Yeah. Will you talk about, because that's even one thing going back to, you know, like being projectors and hustling, like, and like hard work and everything, it does get easier. But that's one thing I keep questioning for a long time. I've had this belief almost of, uh, like I felt bad for it being easy. Mm -hmm. So that was one of my stories is, you know, it's love, not worthwhile if it's easy. Yeah, like and like even like love my sister. You know, again, different dharma's different, whatever. But she used to say like everything comes so easy for Ben. You know, money, like school, whatever. And so naturally, right, I don't want her to feel less than or bad. So mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, well, but I still want it to be easy. <laughs> you know, like I love that it comes easy. Because um, you're in alignment with your dharma, you're living yeah. in the state of of kriya, which is the effortless flow, because the universe is propelling you in the direction of your dharma. When obstacles show up for us, you know it's often feedback to tell us where we're out of alignment. You know, it's mm -hmm. like the word karma; it really is bounded action by the universe. So when we're experiencing those challenges, it's it's not out to get us; it's to show us where we're off and where the things that maybe we need to make a U-turn and course correct and move back on. But truly when you're living your Dharma, you do experience that flow and the synchronicities and the remembrance. But first, you know, sometimes to get to the path of least resistance, you first must follow the yes. path that you are personally the most resistant to. And I love that we've talked a lot like about that a lot of and quite a few different examples of like, it can start this way. It doesn't have to, but for a lot of us, right? Like that's how it starts. And then we can graduate from that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm. Because if we didn't have those things, you know, I mean, I think in the future, like our kids and our kids, kids will just be like, I'm just going to be an astronaut and that's what's happening. And like, that's it. Like <laughs> yeah. everyone's supporting them and they just do it. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, look at like Greta Thunberg. She is one of the world's youngest activists and making so much change in the environmental sphere. And she's just like, yeah, I'm 15 years old and I'm going to do it. Whereas, you know, she didn't have to do all of the <laughs> deconditioning and all of the stuff that a lot of other people had to do. So what could this world look like if instead of putting our focus into trying to heal and unveil and yeah. unlayer, we could just be like, yep, yeah, I'm just going to live my Dharma. And, and that's already happening because so many of us are doing, we're like the indigo generation mm -hmm. and we're making space for the rainbows to just be like, yo, I'm a rainbow boo shining my light. <laughs> I love that. And, but I'd even be interested with like someone like Greta, like I'd love to have a conversation with her because there has to be, doesn't have to be, but like from outside looking in, like trauma and beliefs building even within that because she is like that first she's she's 15 years old now 
Yeah. I mean, I can just like feel she definitely has that savior. I don't want to call it savior complex. I love what she's, what she's doing. And it's, it's amazing. And I, and I think that also her soul, like, cause she has Asperger's syndrome. Um, mm-hmm. And it's, it's one of her greatest gifts, I think, because mm-hmm. she's able to like detach herself from feeling hypersensitive in the way that like many young teenage girls would feel <laughs> yes. like being in a room of these like politicians and CEOs and these people like destroying the environment. And she's just like strong in that, like, no, like we need to stop this. Like you guys need to grow up. I'm not going to grow up on this planet that doesn't have resources. So I think that is her gift, but you know, every human has stuff that they're working yep. through, but I think that her soul definitely chose to make this her primary focus. Yeah. Right. Isn't that, and that's cool. I love how you talked about that, like that being her gift. Mm-hmm. Cause it's so easy to not view it that way. Mm-hmm. Like really though, like, and so many quote unquote bad things have happened. Um, like, and it's, it is hard to say, right? Because it goes even back to like the activism of like doing it, the importance of doing it, but also not doing it depending who you are. And even like just like karmic laws and stuff like that, that's something that I've always wondered about. You know, it's, it's like universal law, like balancing itself out. What are your thoughts on that? Like the greater universal karma of having duality, like equal amounts of good and bad. Or yeah, or yeah like cause and effect. Like if I was the oppressor in this life, I will be the oppressed or like kind of that thing. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a lot further out than we think. Like there is definitely some of that like instant cause and effect karma mm-hmm. that happens of like, you're a bitch to someone, like you get a slap <laughs> in the face, like it just yeah. happens. But then there's, there's past life karma. You know, I think all of us spiritual healers, teachers, et cetera, probably did some really messed up shit in previous lifetimes that were like having to show up in this way for things that we have done. So I don't think anyone, anyone has like 100% like perfect in all lifetimes. We, We learned that way. So I feel like the concept of karma also, what I do love about Buddhism is like the merit that by doing good deeds, regardless of what our karma is, we create more positive merit, which is essentially like currency, positive currency Mm. that allows us to live better lives. And, you know, we have probably spent a lot of lifetimes doing this work and studying this work to even be where we are right now. We have collected a lot of merit to be here. um, But that doesn't mean our journey is done. Like I can also see, for example, I used to live in India and in India, sometimes the concept of karma, just the modern caste system understanding of karma is like, well, that person's homeless. Yeah. Like they're just going to be homeless in this lifetime. And I'm basically a prince. So I deserve this. And like, mm-hmm. that's not what it is. We're still, we're still collecting positive merit or negative karma by the choices that we're making right now. But I don't see the goal of it to ascend and be out of the perpetual wheel. I see, you know, I do think that we take space between lifetimes. We come in other forms. We may come in spirit guide form, Mm -hmm. ascended masters, um, you know, so many other things, but I don't think it's like sucks to be a human the same way that often like a lot of like spirituality is like, ugh, like I'm back on earth. Shit. Get me out of here. Like, I think the purpose of us having these insights is so we could bridge them to humanity. Yeah. I love that. Well, I mean, yeah, this was definitely incredible. Is there anything else on your heart that you feel called to share? 
No, I mean, we, we traversed many different pathways. Traversed. <laughs> On the spiral, spiral staircase. We spiraled along, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, Sahara, thank you so much. Um, yeah, just, just for, I mean, being and doing. Because, yeah, this conversation was, yeah, like, like how you, yeah, what you be and like your, your energy and how you show up, but also what you're doing and like on all the ways. Yeah. And like props for like showing up in like the ways that you have. Cause like you said, we, of all the karma, all the things, whatever past lives, like we still have a choice. So thank you for making the choices to be here. Mm, well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a lovely and fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, mm-hmm. thanks for having me on. You know it. And of course we've got to do the podcast things, you know, got to plug the old book, got to tell them <laughs> the social media things. Yeah. So um, listeners can connect with me on my website. I am saharrose.com. I actually have a quiz for your Dharma archetype. So if you're curious to learning more about your Dharma, there are nine Dharma archetypes. So you could take that quiz and it also has the link for my book, Discover Your Dharma um, and all of my other resources there on my website. I am saharrose and my website is also, or my Instagram is also I am saharrose. And people, well, I'll say, and you do have, you have fun. So like you do TikToks and stuff. I am last year that helped me become less serious. I've kind of stepped away from it. Then I've dipped my toe in it a little bit, but just to, so people know that you are a well-rounded individual and you have fun with all of it too, but you're serious and not serious. Yes. I'm always learning new TikTok dances, twerking. (laughs) I'm a DJ. So Find me on Instagram as well. I'm because that's the thing too. It's like the spiritual journey is, is meant to be fun. That's really mm-hmm. the whole point of this. We're meant to have a good time here. So sometimes we take ourselves so seriously and I feel the same way. Like my inner entertainer archetype has gotten to come out a lot more this past year because of the TikToks and reels. So it's been a good time. Love it. Well, thank you. Thank you. All right, y'all. Make sure you go connect with Sahara. All of her links, her Instagram, her website, where to get her book is in the description. It is in the show notes. I know you love her. She is a beautiful human and soul. Go connect with her. All of that is in the description. And if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, follow on Spotify so you never miss an episode. All of these videos are also on YouTube, so you can watch them there. And leave an, leave a review on Apple. It for real if you have an iphone it helps the show get recommended to people like you looking for the tools and truth that are already inside of them so it helps them you know you know how we do here it's all a revealing it's all a remembering don't believe in fixing and for those people who are looking for that answer that they already are enough leaving a review really does help so thank you so much in advance i appreciate you it says a lot about you that you are listening right now and investing in yourself and into raising consciousness and into a wonderful loving world we appreciate you we will see you soon adios